everyone. You're listening to The Future of Food is You, a production of the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network. I'm your host, Abina Samwa, and each week I talk to emerging talents in the food world and they share what they're up to, as well as their dreams and predictions for what's ahead. As for me, I'm the founder of The Eden Place, a community that's all about gathering people intentionally around food. I love this new generation of chefs, bakers, and creatives making their way in the worlds of food, drink, media, and tech. Today's guest is Romilly Newman. Romilly is a food stylist, writer, and editorial assistant. She was also a former employee here at Cherry Bomb. We chat about her early beginnings in food media as a contestant on Chopped, her time as a TV teen chef, how she got into the world of food styling, working with brands like Tory Burch, Lingua Franca, and Westbourne, as well as a sneak peek into the new lifestyle brand she's building. Stick around to hear more about her recent collaboration with the one and only Martha Stewart. Thank you to Kerrygold for supporting The Future of Food is You. Kerrygold is the iconic Irish brand famous for its rich butter and cheese made in Ireland with milk from grass-fed cows. The holidays are here, and I'll certainly be celebrating with Kerrygold. I'm participating in a few cookie swaps this December, and Kerrygold's pure Irish unsalted butter sticks are on my ingredient list. I think I'll be making some classic gingerbread and a few cranberry orange squares. And what are the holidays without a cheese board? Kerrygold Skellig and Kerrygold Aged Cheddar are perfect snacking cheeses. They pair well with my favorite water crackers and delicious cured meats like a good mortadella or prosciutto. Add honey, jam, or some fresh fruit to round out your grazing spread. If hors d'oeuvres are your jam, turn to Kerrygold Cashel Blue Farmhouse Cheese. There are endless possibilities, and you can make some blue cheese fig bites, whipped blue cheese crostinis, or just sneak in a few little nibbles as you're preparing your big feast. Make the most of your holiday season with Kerrygold. Look for their butter and cheese at your favorite supermarket, specialty grocery store, or cheese shop. Visit KerrygoldUSA.com for recipes, product information, and a store locator. Happy holidays! Now, let's check in with today's guest. Romley, it is so awesome to have you in the Future of Food is You podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my been... pleasure. So let's get started by asking, where did you grow up and how did food show up in your life? So I grew up in New York City. My mom is British but was raised in France. So she had a lot of cultural and gastronomic and style influence, but it never translated to cooking. So I kind of took all the lessons that she taught me and all of her schools of thought and I translated into recipes because the one thing I felt like I didn't have was a family recipe history. Were there other people in your family you felt like had that culinary no or gastronomic flair? No one. And growing up in New York City, it was like delivery and takeout. You know, the kitchen was very empty. And I think luckily for me, once I started cooking, they were like, go off, like go cook every night. So I started making family dinners every night and, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and all the holidays. I'm grateful that my parents were just like, use the oven, use the knives, like go off. Yeah. What age did you start becoming the family chef? Ten. And with this, you know, gastronomic start, you ended up also becoming a child food personality, appearing on Chop Junior and the Today Show. Can you tell us a little bit about that time and, and how you got that start? Yes. So I was a very, very precocious child. And I think the second I was born, I wanted to talk and I wanted people to listen. And I was kind of born into, you know, I'm like a, I was like a five-year-old in a 65-year-old's body. Actually, the reverse of that. (laughs) 
And you were a 65 year old in a five year old body. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to wear my mom's high heels and, you know, socialize with her friends. And I was obsessed with the idea of champagne and wine, you know, all these things. And so when I found food, the natural next step for me was to put it out there. I felt like I had so much to say. I was so excited about it. It was all I could think about. It was all that I wanted to do. So once I started actually making my own recipes, I was like, well, I need to tell the world. That's awesome. And your parents are really supportive because I feel like when you're on a show like Chopped or even just going out into the world, it's, it's almost like you're in parallel to like child actors. Yes. How did your parents, you know, support you in that in that journey? So actually, my whole family is in the film industry. My brother was a child comedian. My other brother was on a TV show when he was 17. This makes it sound like we have stage parents, but we don't. I think, if anything, our parents were so involved in the industries their entire lives, my grandfather, my grandmother, everyone. So when we had a passion, they'd be like, go, you know. And the funny thing is they didn't interfere at all. It was like, I'd be like, I got an email from someone there. And they're like, great, go. I think they just let all of us pursue our passions in any way that we wanted to. So when I found cooking, they're like, well, record videos. And like, you know, you have this big personality. And my brother would record my cooking videos on a flip camera. And we wow. all just like, it was kind of like the Royal Tenenbaums, you know, we all had this weird hyperfixation and we wanted to just pursue it yeah. professionally right away. Royal Tenenbaums minus the Adidas tracksuits in the, in the fur yes. coat. Yes. <laughs> well, I want to talk a little more about the chopped Junior, because sometimes you will post little snippets of it on your Instagram. What was that episode experience like? I mean, I can't even begin to tell you the emotions that ran through me when I got that email. I used to watch Chopped with my brother growing up, and we would pause the episode and we'd, we'd figure out what we would make with the baskets. And it, like even that exercise alone caused me so much anxiety. I think maybe that was the root of my anxiety was that. So when they emailed me, I was like, holy... It was before Chopped Jr., so it was actually an adult episode of Chopped that was a teenage spinoff. Oh, And so that, I think that made it even crazier because mm. it was before—it was the first time they ever let kids in the kitchen. They were piloting, basically. Basically. Yeah, to put industry terms on. <laughs> and I remember the, the producers being in the corner, and they were so nervous. They were nervous we were going to burn ourselves or light the studio on fire. I think I kind of blacked out, and then I did it. I got chopped in the first round. Which, you know, now I wear it as a badge of honor. I overcook my salmon. Say it proudly. Happens to the best of us. Happens to the best of us. I will say I was 13 and the other contestants were 18. So I'm proud of myself. Let's fast forward a little bit. So you end up going to college at NYU. You drop out. You start working at a spot that's pretty close to home here at (laughs) Cherry Bomb. What did you do here and how did it help accelerate your career in food, do you think? Yeah, so I went to NYU for food studies. And I think looking back on it, what I really wanted to do was just to start working. And I felt like, oh, my God, I have four years of learning about all these very interesting things. But I think for me, I'm a horrible student and I'm really good at doing. So after a year, I mean, I was failing (laughs) miserably. I met with my guidance counselor and she was like, have you thought about culinary school? And I was like, "Okay, this is clearly not working. And Cherry Bomb had been such an inspiration to me from the start. I had been following it since inception. Yeah. It was the only option for me. I was like, I'm going to work at Cherry Bomb. And I remember I emailed Carrie like four times. There was no response, which now I find hilarious because I know what her inbox looks like. (laughs) But a friend's mom happened to know Carrie from way back when. And I was like, please, 
Like, if you do one thing, please do this for me. Like, I promise you it will make my life. And I met with Carrie, and she was like, okay, we just need a basic intern to do, you know, administrative tasks. But also, do you know how to cook? And I was like, that's kind of the only thing I know how to do. And she was like, great. Do you want to make staff lunch every day? I was like, thank God, yes. So I got there, and I was terrible at answering emails. I was terrible at I remember I once put an event in her calendar on L.A. time, and it was a New York thing. She totally missed it. You know, I was just like, I don't know what I was doing. But those lunches, I poured my heart and soul into those lunches. And it started becoming a thing where I'd spend three hours making lunch, and then I'd make souffles, and then I would make, you know, hot chocolate. And everyone was like, okay, this girl's only good for this. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm grateful because, you know, I had— this kind of identity crisis when I turned 18 because I was like, you know, I think that I know how to cook and I feel so passionate about it. But also my entire career up to now has been because I was young. Mm -hmm. And how do I actually become a professional? Yeah. And I think Carrie taught me so much about that, but also just even working at the magazine and meeting so many people and being exposed to so many different careers because I always had this conundrum of, I like to call myself a chef, but I'm not a restaurant chef. But I'm not a food writer. You know, it's this kind of weird niche. I think working at Cherry Bomb taught me that I could carve out my own career. And also the people I met while working there are people that (laughs) I probably owe my career to, but also I'm still in contact with and still collaborate with. Yeah, I mean, Carrie has been, I think, the best person for my career as well, and that she really understands what people can do and what they can really shine at, but also seeing it as like a growth challenge. And I'm sure you probably learned things even cooking, being like, okay, well, how do I cook for this many people with dif- this exactly. many dietary restrictions or likes or dislikes or seasons, too? She also had me recipe test for the first time in my life, which I then went on to do professionally, and she had me food style. And I hadn't really even thought about food styling as a career. Yeah. And after that, it became my entire career. But also, I think I discovered food at a very young age because I think I had, I know I had undiagnosed anxiety and ADHD. And I needed an outlet because in class, I could barely focus. I had a really hard time sticking to something. I played the trumpet. I played the saxophone. You know, it was just like constantly trying new things and thinking maybe this will stick. When I got in the kitchen, I felt very comfortable. Mm. And I think it became this constant in my life where when I walk into the kitchen, I feel in control. I feel that I can express myself. And I felt hyper-focused. So I'm very grateful that I came to that conclusion at a young age that, okay, this is what I need to do. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Don't miss the new holiday issue of Cherry Bomb's print magazine, Host with the Most. It features culinary superstar Molly Boz on the cover. Inside the issue, you'll find recipes perfect for gatherings, hosting tips from the chicest food folks around, and a fun gift guide. You can get a copy or subscribe at cherrybomb.com. Or you can find a copy at one of our amazing retailers like Kitchen Arts and Letters in New York City, Smoke Signals in San Francisco, and Matriarch in Newport, Rhode Island. You can check cherrybomb.com for our complete list of retailers. Well, let's talk a little bit about culinary school. So one one aspect of school worked out for you. You ended up going to Ballymaloo Cookery School in Ireland. Yes. I mean, I just got to visit with Carrie Gold a few months ago, and it's just, it is truly the dreamiest place ever. What were some of the key lessons that you took from that experience, and how did it change your appreciation for food? Oh, God, I literally, like, I could cry talking about Ballymaloo. 
It Darina, is most, Rachel, we hope you're listening. Yes. Hi, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's the most idyllic place. And my mother is Anglo-Irish. Her father lived in West Cork. Oh, and so, so cool. for her, Ballymaloo was a very special place. My dad had filmed a, a movie in West Cork before I was born. So she just kind of knew when I got to an age that she wanted to take me there because she had this strong feeling that it would change my life. And it did. And it's amazing because I it was only a week but it completely changed my perspective on food because it was just it kind of opened my eyes to how simple things can be and how powerful simplicity can be. And that actually the most beautiful food requires restraint, mm-hmm. but also it's about the love that you put into every step, not to sound cheesy, but it is. At Ballymaloo, you get milk and then you make your own butter and then, you know, you mill your own flour and then you make bread. And it's these just like very, very simple, simple luxuries that blew me away. And so while I probably don't remember the actual dishes we cooked, it was the ethos and the connection to food and the intention behind it that really changed how I cooked and how I saw food. Yeah. And I mean, it shines through. I think if you've been to Ballymaloo or have read Darina's cookbooks or watched anything that really comes from that, the family, I think, yeah, it's just this passion of like, enjoying food at its simplest because you want to make things from nature. Exactly. And I think that's something that, unfortunately, if you grew up on this side of the Atlantic, you often don't get to see unless, you know, if you grew up in a granola family, your parents work in some aspect of agriculture. So Right. And I think I love this very decadent, luxurious approach to food. But I kind of I I try to tell people that to me, the most luxurious thing is a perfectly cooked softball deck. Oh, yeah. You know, an orange egg yolk is a luxury. Yes. Salted butter on toast is a luxury. So it doesn't have to be caviar and lobster. I think just like these very small moments where things are just made perfectly and they hit the spot, that's luxury to me. Let's dive into luxury because (laughs) I think you have done some really exciting food projects with brands that people would consider very luxurious, like Raff's, Soho House, Tory Burch, and even Athena Calderon of Ice Spoon, just to name a few. When you think about food styling, what are some elements that you draw inspiration from? I got into food styling accidentally. I was at lunch with my mom, and I got a call from Athena. And I was like, why is Athena calling me? How did you know Athena before that? I met Athena through Cherry Bomb. I heard of Jubilee. I, Best place to be When people. I was working at Cherry Bomb, they would call me Baby Calderon because I cared so much about how things looked. I was obsessed with kind of all aspects of food and aesthetics and kind of how they naturally worked within each other. I met Athena at Jubilee, and I was like, if you if you ever need an extra set of hands, I'm here. And she called me, and she's like, hey, babe, can you food style for a shoot I have in two days? I'd never food styled in my entire life. I was like, yeah, of course. And she's like, what's your rate? And I was like, can you just give me a minute? And I called Carrie on the other line, and I said, Carrie, how much would I charge for food styling? We did that shoot together, and then we actually started working together on a lot of things, and I still work with her to this day. But she taught me a lot about how to make food content, for lack of a better word, bigger than just food. Like focusing on the atmosphere, focusing on the lighting, focusing on how other elements interact with it, flowers and, you know, the serving ware. And I think that really inspired me because she did kind of blaze that trail of like, food in the home with fashion with design yeah all these things together and so i think once i started food styling for other clients it was about kind of creating this very natural organic feel i never wanted it's like a beautiful mess i never wanted things to be perfect it's like very much like i just wanted to make it look inviting 
and kind of sumptuous and natural. Are there people you tend to draw, like if you were to look at a mood board that you had for most of your styling, what would be some artists or people that you would reference on on a mood board like that if you had a couple? I would say the two women who have inspired me the most are Ruth Rogers from River Cafe and Alice Waters. Obviously, Julia Child as well. But I think the way they cook and the way it's plated, it can be boiled potatoes, but it looks like a piece of art. You know, reading those books, going to the River Cafe. I actually did a week-long stage at Chez Panisse. And just seeing how natural and organic and how effortless everything looked, that was the biggest inspiration, honestly. I mean, I take a lot of inspiration from, like, Dutch still life. You know, these kind of renaissance paintings yeah. and things that, you know, I'm very inspired by the past. And so I would say it's like a combination of that, which is very over the top and very decadent, and then the simplicity of those two chefs who just kind of, I don't know, it's like I think their hands are magic. Yeah, and they're both such cultural icons too. Again, yeah. I think what you're saying really about Athena, it's not just about the food, it's about the lifestyle, right? All like, of it, yeah. If you want to eat healthily, you have to kind of know the land, respect the land, be exactly. good stewards of the land, or if you're into fashion, knowing lighting, color, contrast, which I think is a good segue into how you think about luxury food and fashion brands, because you are the queen of collaborations. <laughs> I feel like I get to discover so many brands because of you. I get to love more brands because of you. I know we both have a special connection to Doen, and you've done stuff with other brands as well. When you think about partnerships, especially since you're figuring out your career, how do you think about them as a way to elevate your personal brand? The way I think about partnerships, it's very, it's very intentional. I think of brands that I actually use in my life. I found myself cooking in a lot of Doen dresses. I will find myself wearing ridiculous high heels in the kitchen. And I'm like, okay, well, this works within my life. I love to wear this when I go to an event. I love to wear this, you know, at a picnic, whatever it might be. I know it sounds ridiculous. So I, you know, with Doen, I just reached out and I was like, I collect your stuff. I use it in my everyday life. I love it. And they were like, let's collab. And I think luckily now food is sexier than it used to be in terms of the fashion element. I think fashion brands see a lot of value in food because I think for a while fashion brands thought, okay, well, we just want to show people looking glamorous. But then they have to start thinking about selling an actual lifestyle. So showing their clothes in a home, at work, all these things and, you know, kind of placing it. in. I see taste as an umbrella. And there's food, and there's fashion, and there's design, and there's art. And I think they're all connected. So for a fashion brand to only focus on the fashion element, it doesn't work. I'm very lucky that I started doing this at the time where they kind of all caught on because they've let me, I mean, I did something with Bulgari, and they let me saw a lamb chop while wearing their diamonds. No, that and was I'm just iconic. like, yeah. I, I pinch myself because I'm like, how are they letting me do this? But, you know, it's just about like, yeah, it's about fitting it into your actual life. It's not yeah. like I'll never work with a brand that takes me out of my natural element. It sounds like you're really good at cold pitching and just reaching out to brands. How have you found the balance of pitching brands and brands pitching you? I think one thing I learned early on is if a brand doesn't want to work with you, you don't want to work with them. You want to work with brands who are equally excited about collaborating, even if they're huge luxury brands or if they're small brands. You want it to be a natural fit because or else it comes through. You know, there are places that I've reached out to and they're like, oh, maybe next time. And I'm like, OK, you know what? That's not going to happen. First of all, one of the things I did was actually before working with any of these brands, I would just post their stuff 
Yeah, because it was far. totally natural, yeah. and they would catch on. So I think that's a very easy way to start working with people. But also, I was just like, you know what? I think my food complements your designs perfectly. And a lot of times, people are receptive. I mean, DMs are a really powerful tool. Yeah, slide into the DMs, guys. Yes, heard it here slide first. right in. Are there any dream brands that you love to work with? Can we have this conversation again? I think the thing I'm actually most interested in right now is hotels because I'm very fascinated by hospitality as a concept. I love the intersection of design and food and comfort. So I would love to consult on hotels and like work on food programming and design. Yeah, I think that's the thing that makes me most excited to yeah. think about. Well, we're huge manifestors on the podcast. We're so big is manifestors. There, is, there, is there a hotel brand that, that's just been living rent-free? I love the Belmond. Mm-hmm. I love the Il Palicano, Mezzatore. I'm probably butchering those. But, you know, there's certain hotel groups that just get it. I yeah. love the proper hotels. Places that also have that attention to detail and, like, I actually care so much about every everything. Yeah. Well, now that you say proper time, manifesting a Kelly Wurzler. I love Kelly. Romilly Newman <laughs> extravaganza. <laughs> Let's move a little bit more and talk about your writing. Again, you just do so much. I know we could stay here all day talking about things, but you have a substack. That's just Romilly Newman. And also you're writing for the new food site, Family Style. Yes. How would you describe your writing style and like the food landscape? And how do you think about the ideas that you want to share or talk about? It's funny because every time I write something, my mom's a writer, and every time I write something, I'm like, is this insane? Because I just go off. I just talk about, I try to really connect whatever I'm talking about, whether it's fashion or food or design, to an emotional element. Because I think for me, all of these things that could possibly be conceived as frivolous are actually a way to get through. I use food and fashion and all these things as a way to make my day-to-day Terrible. That sounds dark, but it's not. It's just it gives me that boost. It gives me that sense of excitement and joy. And so when I write about food, I really try to connect everything to how I'm feeling. And I never know if people are like, oh, God, she's sad again. But I really like I think it's like if I can do any. There's so many beautiful food writers. There's so much out there. I'm just like if I can offer anything, it's maybe this sense of honesty and the sense of humor that will, like, complement a saffron pasta, you know? Because that's what's going on in my head. And I figured the best thing to do is just to be myself. You had a column for Family Style where this this person sent a question about dividing up things in their shared kitchen, which is a very common New York situation. And I just love the way you talked about it. Like, if you love this knife, great. If you don't, that's okay. And I think that's one such a true approach to, like, this is how you get stuff done, but also... You know, if you feel really attached to something, that also helps you develop a close relationship to cooking. Yeah. I think, like, the emotionality is actually a really big point. You don't have to get the knife because you, like, you have better knife skills. It's like if you really are drawn to that and it's something that provides a sense of comfort, even without you realizing it, take it. (laughs) Yeah. As you're thinking a lot more about your brand, I know you want to release some stuff soon. What are products or experiences that you're hoping to sell or share under this brand? Yeah, I mean, I think entertaining is really the crux of it. It's hosting. And it's not necessarily hosting, you know, 15 people for an extravagant dinner. I think it's sharing a love of food and also connecting over it. And I think, you know, cooking for people is the greatest act of love. So with my future brand, I think my real intention is to create modern heirlooms. 
because with my recipes and with my whole career, it was a lot about creating tradition for myself and for my family. And, you know, I'm very lucky. My grandmother was a huge antique collector, and I inherited a lot of beautiful serving wear and pieces like that. And those are the things that mean the most to me. And so if I can create a brand for young people who are interested in food and who are starting their lives and just, you know, figuring out what their style is, that they'll actually keep forever, I think that would be the most powerful thing I could do. Yeah, and I think also our generation, it's interesting because when you exist so much in the present, you don't think about, oh, what am I going to pass out to my kids? I feel like I'm now exactly. just getting in that knack of, okay, if I'm buying this sweater, I'm investing in it because exactly. I want it for 10, 20 years. And also, like, yeah. I, I love patina. I love beautiful things, but I love when they look used. Mm -hmm. And I love when things, you know, you can kind of see the wear and tear. I think right now everything is so trend-focused. So what I want to do is really, like, scale back and just look at what works, what withstands the test of time, and what has been influential across history, and kind of go back to that craftsmanship and that design. Are there any brands right now that you feel like evoke that style that you think are inspiring you? I mean, I'm a, I'm an Etsy-aholic. I really don't buy new stuff. I love finding things. I get a thrill. It's probably an addiction. I love things that have history. It is kind of exciting to find, you know, maybe a fork that is actually from the 1800s and it was used for this specific fish dish and you can modernize it and place it within your own reality. You know, there are lots of amazing brands, but I think what I want to do is hone in on the past by making something new. But I yeah. think also in terms of like sustainability, it's like the one set of cutlery you'll use. And also I'm a big believer if you have something nice, use it. So use it for Tuesday night pasta and then use it for Christmas. Beautiful things are meant to be used and loved. Everyday heirlooms. Yeah. I like that. Everyday heirlooms. Also, one thing I, I adore about you, Rama, is you are so well-loved and connected, not just in food, but in fashion. I feel like you are just out there. You're outside, but also you're just really good at supporting and encouraging and working alongside, you know, a lot of our mutual friends. When you thought about developing your brand and also growing professionally, how do you think about community that you built for yourself? And how do you think about supporting others, too, in their work and what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, I'm shocked that people aren't exhausted from me yet. I Impossible. Mean, I'm like, <laughs> I, everything I do, I'm like, is this insufferable? No. But I just genuinely love, I think I'm so close to my mother. She taught me everything I know. We're best friends. I am my mother's daughter. That supporting women element and that collaborative element just came very naturally to me. Because my mom's so amazing at so many things, but she wasn't good at cooking. But we learned how to kind of connect through it. You know, she would set the table and I would make the food or we would she'd take me to the French market and we'd buy cheese together. So I think collaboration is hugely important to me. Yeah. And I hope that as I develop my brand and, you know, I have more opportunities that I can bring in people I admire and people whom I adore to work on it with me. You know, whether it's a collaboration, whether it's using my things in their their work, I don't know what it is, but I think that is just it's not something I think about. It's just something, it's just a no-brainer. Yeah. Me. What advice would you give to someone who is trying to navigate the community or build their own community here in the city? I think, first of all, going to a block party, if there's, you know, a cocktail hour at a restaurant. I mean, people who love food go and eat food. You know, you'd be surprised, you know, follow people on Instagram and maybe they're doing a little bake sale or whatever it might be. 
And so go to things and put yourself out there. I think that's kind of the most important thing. I mean, that's really how I did all this was by cold going into events or, you know, showing up at things and being like, hey, it's so nice to meet you. And I'd be like, I'm 16, but I love food and I'm so inspired by what you do. And like you'd be surprised by how receptive people are. I also think you just need to throw yourself into things. I mean, I had a failed PR job. I recipe tested a cookbook, which was the bane of my existence. I've learned the most from my mistakes and the things that I'm bad at. And I think my advice for anyone who's young or not young going into the food world is just dive in head first and try as many things as possible. And, you know, if you see someone on Instagram saying I'm looking for an assistant, be their assistant. You learn so much by just doing. I think we need to take a moment to celebrate one of your greatest collaborations with the Martha Stewart, you know, legend of all things home and entertaining. How did that project come about and what was it like working with her? Oh, God, I can't even. I'm like, it's like my five-year-old self is still bawling. Actually, speaking (laughs) of, when I was like six, when I would have a tantrum, my mom would pacify me with a copy of Martha Stewart Living. So when I say that this was life-changingly huge for me, it's like Martha is a part of my DNA. And I think having her approval and being able to collaborate with her and spend time at her home was so wild to me because I don't think what I do would exist without Martha. I'm horrible at gardening, and I'm really not perfect. And for a while, I was like, I need to learn how to be orderly. I need to learn how to be perfect. But I think actually watching Martha and following her The thing I learned is that you just have to focus on what you're good at. She happens to be good at everything, and I am not. But she taught me so much about, like, being a multi-hyphenate, about caring so much about things, doing things your own way, and that people will follow. When I got that, she called me. You just, all these people are calling me. I feel like when the movie plays of you, like, when there's a Romley movie, like... There's going to be a lot of phone calls. I just can't. I like, I'm still like, what? Why? Why are you calling me? And she's like, you know, Romley, how are you? I I had met her at an event I did. It was the first time I ever did a food spread. A friend of mine, Chris Hesney, is an amazing event production designer. And he was having a holiday party. And he was like, Romley, can you do the food for 150 people? You know, just like this grazing table. I want you to go all out. I was like, Chris, I don't, I don't do food for the masses. I don't know how to do that. He was like, you're doing it. And by the way, Martha Stewart's coming. You're like, say less. I'm yes. there. So I was like, okay, well, I'm an idiot if I don't do this. So I stressed for like three weeks. It was like three weeks of absolute anxiety. But I did it. I mean, that to me was probably the most rewarding thing of my career. Not because of Martha, but because I just went for something that I had never done. And I found that that was something I was really passionate about. But also, I had my own aesthetic, and it was something that I felt like I could actually offer to the world. And Martha came, and she was impressed. Can't even say that with a straight face. And she gave me her phone number because she wanted to text me a picture of some Serrano ham she had in Miami. And I kind of stalked her for a while. I would text being like, hey, Martha, what's up? She wouldn't respond for a while. And then one day, I got a text, can you call me? She was having a Kentucky Derby party, and she wanted me to style the food for it, but also come on her show and film a segment. And I don't think I've processed it yet. (laughs) I'm so grateful. I mean, I just can't believe it. Well, we have to talk about the food. What were some of the things that you made? So I learned a lot (laughs) from working with Martha because she cares a lot about context. And I think that's what makes her so successful and so kind of polarizing is that She's like, it's the derby, so we're going to serve everything that will be served at a derby. 
And I was like, but then let's have this and then this and these flower things. And she's like, calm down. Stick to the script. <laughs> Stick to the script. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't have those flowers at the derby, so we're not putting them on the table. I mean, she's a stickler, but that's what makes her so good. Yeah. Well, she's I also mean, the queen of themes, I feel she's like. She's the queen yeah. of themes and also all her recipes are perfect. Everything she does, just 10 out of 10. I think it was a great experience because she taught me a lot. Even in those five days, I learned so many things that I would have never thought about. So, Romilly, I know the holidays are coming up, and you are an incredible host. What are some dishes that you think a novice cook can make to impress your family? My number one holiday cooking tip is to have a soup course. Because it's so easy. You can make it three days in advance. You can freeze it. You can. It's just like, it's a no-brainer item. But the act of having a separate course for soup feels very elevated. Over the holidays, I always make a chestnut soup. And it's chestnuts, and there's some red wine in there. There's lots of aromatics, a little bit of heavy cream, nutmeg. And it's it just tastes like a hug. I'm the kind of psycho where I only make it on the holidays. I'm like, this is my sacred soup. I don't know. It feels very special. Yeah. There's something nice about having designated dishes that you pull out for the holidays or you pull out to you know share with family. I always do a big roast of meat because it's easy. I think the one thing I never do is individual plates. Mm. Everything's family style. Everything is just kind of served as it is. And also, I think the best part is obviously the leftovers. Yeah. Oh, the morning after, the lunch after, exactly. all the meal just hits different. Well, we're obviously heading into 2024, and I'm sure you have some exciting things that you're working on. But what are you excited for for yourself in terms of your growth and and the things that you want to work for in the new year? I used to think I had to fit into a mold. And I've been shocked, thrilled that, you know, being myself 100% has people's attention. And so I think I'd like to even, you know, further develop that by, like, really just doing my weird stuff. No, I'm not like the other girls and quirky. <laughs> but no, but like, you know, just being very true to myself and kind of creating this world where people can escape. Yeah. I think I use food as an escapism. I use all of it, you know, as a way to feel something and feel excited about life. And I'd like to kind of create a, a community that's about beautiful things. It's about delicious things. But it's also about acknowledging that you're sad or you need company. At the crux of everything I do, I want it to be meaningful. More food and feelings. Yeah, food and feelings. When we get to chat in the next five to ten years, obviously it won't be that long. Where do you hope to see yourself? And, and how do you think about the way that your work and your brand will help shape and mold the food landscape as we know it? I mean, going back to this idea of tradition and heirlooms, I really want to teach people how to be their own story. When I was growing up, I was like, my friends had these amazing Italian grandmothers, Jewish grandmothers who teach them how to make their vodkas or their pomodoro. And I think there's a lot of power in creating that for yourself and sharing it with other people. There's no reason why you can't have a repertoire of recipes that are your family recipes that you created for yourself. I think, you know, using food as a conduit to really have a deeper connection with people. And so when I think about my brand, you know, it's obviously there's a material element to it, but I also want it to be kind of a, a way of life. You know, it's like if I can teach people one thing, it's just like be more intentional and, you know, think about everything. I think to me, the biggest luxury in food or in life is time. You know, on the weekend, have friends over and roast something mm -hmm. beautiful or braise something for seven hours. That's luxury. 
Romilly, speaking of time, we don't have a lot of time because we're about to do our future flash five. The future of fashion. The past. The future of food styling. Messy. The future of food brands. Simple. The future of food writing. Honest. And finally, the future of chef kids on television. Not only looking at them for their age. Romilly, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. If people want to support you, where are the best places that they can find you? They can follow my Substack, which is just romleynewman.substack.com. Everything I do, I kind of just post on Instagram, random musings or my shoes or or chocolate mousse. So that's probably the best place to find me. And that's at Romilly Newman? Yes. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Before we go, our guest is going to leave a voicemail just talking to themselves 10 years from now. You have reached the Future of Food is You mailbox. Please leave your message after the beep. Romilly, I hope you still love you do, and I hope you're still kind of in this weird state of shock that you get to do it. I hope you're not jaded. I hope you're still excited about everything, but I also hope you still have that sense of fear, and I hope you, you're you putting in the work. I want you to remember that you've gotten through every bad day, and sometimes you catastrophize things and you feel like the world is crashing down, but you've always gotten through it. And whether that's calling a friend or making a dish— you know how to move past things. And sometimes you feel like you'll never recover, but you always have. I also hope you still eat all the salted butter and baguette that your heart desires, because even if your cholesterol levels are high, you'll be happy. That's it for today's show. Do you know someone who you think is the future of food? Tell us about them. Nominate them at the link in our show notes, or leave us a rating and a review, and tell me about them in the review. I can't wait to read more about them. Thanks to Kerrygold for supporting our show. The Future of Food is You is a production of the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network. Thanks to the team at CityVox Studios, executive producers Carrie Diamond and Catherine Baker, associate producer Jenna Sadu, and editorial assistant London Crenshaw. Catch you on the future flip!